Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kevin Bupp. He is the principal at Sunrise Capital Investors and also the author of a new book called The Cash Flow Investor, How to Create Financial Freedom Investing in Commercial Real Estate. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Kevin. Jordan, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Just give us your background briefly. I, I know you've been on the show before, but for people who haven't heard it before, give us briefly your background. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And again, thank you for having me here. So, I, I, Jordan, I've been a full-time real estate investor for a little over 20 years now. So, you know, two plus decades. And um, like a lot, uh, like a lot of folks, I got started, you know, just buying single-family investment properties uh, with the intent of keeping as long-term rentals. That morphed into acquiring quite a large portfolio of single family and small multifamily properties. And then through the years, really got my introduction into commercial real estate and uh, have, have owned uh, pretty much every different asset type out there from you know retail to office to, to self-storage and into some more niche types of assets, which, uh, which we focus a lot on today. So uh, fast forward for the last decade, we've been uh, our company has been purchasing manufactured housing communities throughout the U.S., as well as a few other boutique niches, uh, one one of those being parking lots and parking garages. And so, again, just full-time investor for the last 20 years and uh, uh, parking lots, parking garages, and then also some built-to-rent projects are what we focus on today. So let's kind of take a look at commercial real estate in the, the bigger picture right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the economy has been slowing. Interest rates are rising. The stock markets have been plummeting. Crypto has been plummeting. Uh, we've had COVID, which hurt a lot of commercial real estate. Kind of take us to where commercial real estate fits in the overall economic picture today. Yeah, it's it's a great question, and, and by no means am I an economist. And even economists, I, I think Jordan right now uh, are kind of scratching their heads, just you know, really taking stabs in the dark as to what the coming months and years are going to look like. Obviously, there's been a significant amount of changes just over the the last couple of weeks, as far as the you know ten year Treasury is concerned and mortgage rates. Um, we've seen a big slowdown uh, with with loan applications for single-family homes. Um, you know, in all that, really, uh, it, it all correlates as well over to the commercial side of things, at least as it relates to uh, debt options, uh, folks looking to acquire a property or refinance a property, you know, recapitalize it, what have you. And so, you know, I, without breaking it down asset class by asset class, obviously each one individually um, gets impacted differently, um, as well as each market's different than the next. And so, uh, one thing I think we can agree upon at this point in time, there's still a massive shortage of housing here in the United States. And so, you know, the multifamily, uh, the multifamily sector, uh, you know, mobile home parks kind of fit into that sector as well. But housing in general, um, you know, while new home purchases or home purchases have slowed quite a bit, the demand for that housing, the need for that housing is still there. And so, you know, I, I definitely see that you know, the whole trending change going from homeowners to renters like that, that's ultimately being accelerated right now. Folks that are they would like to be a homeowner, but they're actually forced into uh, renting at this point in time. And again, still trying to meet that massive shortage of housing. So I don't I don't foresee um, any major impacts um, uh, as it relates to the multifamily sector, commercial real estate. But then on the flip side of that spectrum, Jordan, you know, you talked about the pandemic. Uh, we talked about you know rates a little bit. You know the different impacts of each one of those, and you know one of the sectors that you know ultimately was already feeling some struggles going into COVID, the office sector um, is is that that's time will tell how that really plays out in the long term, right? And so, you know, office is one of those asset classes that I wouldn't say be fearful of, but um, definitely 
be concerned about um, if you're looking at investing in office or if you are actually have investments in office, because really we probably won't know what the outcome, long-term outcome is going to be in that sector for, you know, going on five years. I mean, lots of these leases are five, seven, 10 year leases. And yeah. while a lot of the tenants are still, they were paying during COVID, they're paying today. Uh, what, what we have found is that the data will show that uh, you know, the, there's not one market that's that's back to pre-COVID levels as far as physical occupancy in the workspace. And again, here we are almost a year after COVID, and we still don't know what that looks like. You know, every different employer across the country, they're trying to get their handle on how they're going to manage uh, their employee base, you know, that they've ultimately allowed to work virtual. You know, some employers or, or companies are seeing that there has been a significant impact on efficiency in the workplace. Uh, with this virtual type environment. Um, others have seen, you know, their business thrive. And then you got everyone that's kind of in the middle there that probably would benefit by having some of their folks back in the workplace. It's just, they don't know exactly how that dynamic is going to play out long-term. And so yeah. uh, again, just, um, no, don't know if I answered your question there, but uh, you know, there's significant well, impacts as it relates. The current situation you have, the Federal Reserve has raised interest rates, clearly is going to raise mm -hmm. interest rates more um, yes. and uh, potentially bring on a recession or certainly a slowdown. In general, how does rising interest rates and a slowdown in the economy affect commercial real estate? We're going to get into the second you know, detail, but in general. Yeah, no, so it's interesting because at, at this point in time, most folks would argue that cap rates have a direct correlation to, to interest rates. And there's been so much capital, so much capital in the marketplace, Jordan. It's just we've, we've just infused uh, our market with so much capital over the last couple of years that it's still looking for a home. And so while interest rates have actually gone up, uh, we have not seen a uh, a dramatic at all impact on on cap rates or prices of real estate, and and ultimately, you know, again speaking to commercial real estate, if it's an asset that's in a in a good market, and it's a it's a good asset itself, then it's typically got a multi bid scenario going on as far as buyers are concerned. So, um, it, it, again, there's always a lag as it relates to how it directly impacts. Uh, you know, the commercial real estate market. But, uh, you know, time will tell because right now there's nothing, nothing has inherently changed other than if, if you're in a situation where you've got short term debt, uh, if, you, if you, maybe you, you took out a bridge product uh, a year, year and a half ago, two years ago, and you were looking to do a value add play and ultimately put on permanent debt thereafter, you may find yourself in a precarious situation if, if you were very thin with your margins in, in the beginning and ultimately are just relying upon, you know, double digit rental increases like we've had over the last two years you might find yourself in a precarious situation but at this point in time we have not seen any direct impacts as it relates to pricing uh, due to the you know, dramatic increase in the tenure yeah so you begin your book uh, called uh, the cash flow investor with the four myths mm -hmm. about um commercial real estate let's just go over those briefly the first one is that you need a lot of money to invest in commercial real estate people think this is only for multimillionaires. why is that a myth yeah, you know, it's 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 a it's a myth, uh, you know, because ultimately, it's all about thinking out of the box. Um, you know, there there's a, a litany of different creative financing strategies that exist, uh, both in commercial and residential real estate. Anything that's applicable to residential real estate investing, for the most part, can be carried over to commercial real estate investing. But also, aside from that, there there's some phenomenal opportunities as it relates to. Um, uh, uh, syndications. And so ultimately going to the private marketplace and and raising capital from both sophisticated and not sophisticated individuals, depending on what kind of uh, of offering that you put forth. But there's there's a great opportunity in that if you're, you, you know, understand what your individual skill set is. And so if you're an individual that has, 
you know, identified themselves as someone that can find good opportunities in the marketplace. You know how to find a good deal. You know how to underwrite a good opportunity. You know how to to to, to see, you know, when there's an opportunity in front of you. But you might not have all the capital to actually um, take that opportunity down. Well. There's also a lot of folks out there that that have money sitting around. They don't necessarily have the time to operate that deal. They don't know the they don't have the, the you know the know-how to actually find that opportunity. And so there's a perfect match made in heaven there to where an individual that can find it can ultimately go out and raise the capital from high net worth individuals and form a partnership in such manner and not necessarily have to put their own capital into the deal. And so I, I, I do always like to say that if you're if you're getting into real estate in general, again, whether it be commercial or residential, I always <laughs> I want you to play around with your own money first, even if it's just a little bit, right? Put your own capital at risk, prove your concept, um, and, and just really validate what your business model is before you go looking at raising capital from outside sources. But ultimately, there's a lot of opportunity to do that because, again, as we had mentioned earlier, there's a lot of capital looking for a home right now. And so yeah. if you can really get yourself good at finding that opportunity, more than likely, you'll be able to find the capital to put forth and not necessarily have to come out of pocket with your own capital. So that's the first myth that you don't need a lot of money. The second myth is you need a long track record of real estate investing success before you get started. How can you get started if you haven't had much success or much experience in this field? Again, I, I think it's very important to have education. Um, you know, and, and those are two very different things. Having, you know, a 10, 20 year track record as a, an investor, you know, uh, maybe as a residential investor before you have to, before you switch over to being a commercial investor, that, that's very different than actually just being educated. I, I've, you know, I've seen many, many folks over the years that ultimately you know, just kind of skipped over the smaller deals and went right for the larger, uh, l larger types of investments. Uh, more specifically, at least over the last decade, lots of folks have been really jumping into the multifamily sector. And I think so long as you can align yourself with you know, with a team, with others that have complementary skill sets, uh, maybe they've, they've got the track record or maybe they have bits and pieces of that track record that you might not have yet. And you bring a, a unique skill set to that team or to the table there's a very valuable partnership that can be formed there. And so, again, I, um, I, I do think education is key, um, but ultimately not necessarily years and years of experience underneath your belt before you can get into the space. Your third myth is that you will rack up a lot of debt and never <laughs> get out from under it. Uh, why do you not need to take on debt to do commercial real estate? Yeah, you know, I, I I'm a huge proponent of debt when used wisely and, and responsibly. And so, you know, you know, the key, the key principle of, of actually utilizing debt to invest in a, you know, uh, investment property is that over time, your tenants will ultimately help you pay down that debt. You'll have uh, capital events that will occur where you'll be able to get your, uh, you know, investors, maybe their capital back if you brought in some equity on the deal. But over time, the whole objective here is that you have a, you know, a positive cash flow or cash flowing asset that inevitably pays for itself. And so while you'll have debt on that property, um, you know, if you keep it long enough, inevitably, I would think that you would end up paying it off and, 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 you know, own it free and clear. A lot of folks don't own real estate that long, but again, um, really looking at it from the front end, getting in, want to make sure that your, your cash flow positive. And so really that debt becomes a, um, a, a, a very de-risked component of the deal. And your fourth miss is that the commercial investing business is too hard and complex to understand. Now you have a book explaining it, <laughs> but is this something yeah. that the average person can get their mind around without too much? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And again, a lot of the concepts that are, you know, when we speak to, you know, single family investments, again, that's where a lot of people kind of take their first step. Uh, pretty much all those concepts are fairly applicable in the commercial real estate world. You know, there's some unique nuances in each asset class. And so just really putting that broad blanket uh, over commercial real estate is, is a little challenging to do. But when you look at each individual asset class, again, 
lots of the same strategies in single family and, and residential investments are applicable. Again, speaking, we spoke to offices earlier. There's unique nuances associated with with tenant improvements and and you know lengths of leases and strength of the tenants and things of that nature. But but again, um, you know. No reason why anyone that's just getting started can't get started in commercial real estate and uh, and be very successful at it. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Kevin Bupp. He's the principal at Sunrise Capital Investors, which specializes in mobile home park investing. He's come out with a new book called The Cash Flow Investor, How to Create Financial Freedom Investing in Commercial Real Estate. You can find out more at his website for his company, which is sunrisecapitalinvestors.com or his personal website, Kevin Bupp, with two P's, B-U-P-P.com. We'll be back after this. All around the world, tech companies are innovating and driving returns for investors. Our crowd analyzes companies across the global private market, selecting those with the greatest growth potential, then brings them to you. From personalized medicine to robotics to cybersecurity, where companies spend over $150 billion a year, our crowd is identifying innovators so you can invest when growth potential is greatest, which is early. Our crowd is the fastest growing venture capital investment community. Our crowd's accredited investors have already used the platform to invest over $1 billion in growing tech companies. 21 of the portfolio companies are unicorns. And many of our crowd's members have benefited from over 50 IPOs or sale exits of portfolio companies. Now you can invest in Sotero, which has developed a patented new approach to data protection that eliminates the gaps of traditional methods, securing any data asset, whether it's on-premise or in the cloud. Sotero is trusted by one of the world's largest pharmaceutical companies. Explore Sotero's potential at OUR. CROW.com slash answers. You can join our crowd for free at OURCROW.com slash answers. Join the fastest growing venture capital investment community at OurCrowd.com slash answers. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kevin Bupp. He's the principal at Sunrise Capital Investors. He's written a new book called The Cashflow Investor, How to Create Financial Freedom, Investing in Commercial Real Estate, you can find out more at his company's website, sunrisecapitalinvestors.com, or his personal website, kevinbupp.com. Welcome back to the show, Kevin. Thanks, Jordan. So we talked about the myths. You say it's important before you get into commercial real estate to find your why and your focus. What, why is it important to do that before you get involved in commercial real estate? Yeah, I mean, and I, and I think it's important to figure out the reason why you're doing something, whatever business endeavor it might be, uh, before, before you jump into it. I think a lot of folks really, they look at real estate as a, not necessarily get rich quick, but they they, they ultimately see it as a way um, you know, to, to find themselves financial freedom, whatever that means to that individual person. But there's many other ways that you can find yourself financial freedom as well, not necessarily in real estate. And so I, I talk about the why as to you know, really, what's the reasonings behind that you want to invest in real estate? And and I can give the example of like what my why is, right? And because everyone's going to be a little different, but I I have an absolute clear direction every day when I wake up as to why I'm doing what I'm doing, but not even why I'm doing it, but also even specifically what type of real estate we're focusing in. I mean, there's again, million and one different ways to make money in real estate. And, you know, I, I'm very selective with where we want to spend our time, energy and resources and what asset classes we want to invest in and, and, and ultimately, but backing up to, to the why, you know, for me, uh, and again, this could be different for everybody, but it, it's absolute, imp absolutely important that you get clarity here before you spend any time, energy, and resource so that you can ultimately have that purpose every morning you wake up and know why you're doing what you're doing. And so for me, it's it's spending quality time with with my wife and my kids. And um, and that means traveling with them, having the freedom to travel with them and, uh, you know, just creating memories more than anything else. It's creating memories, even if that's just at home watching movie together, uh, swimming in the pool, whatever it might be. It's, it's spending as much time as possible with my wife and kids. I know that. Uh, from for many many mentors uh, that were years older than I when I was getting into this business, um, they had many successful businesses over the years. One of their biggest regrets, and there's three of them specifically I'm speaking to, three mentors I've had. Their biggest regrets were that they literally missed really key moments of their children's lives growing up, and and I knew that I just I didn't want that to be me, and so I really took that to heart. And so again. One of my whys is spending as much time as possible with my wife and children. Um, again, I'd mentioned the you know traveling, creating memories with my family, and in addition to that, I think another important component, at least for me, is having free time uh, to devote to charitable causes that are near and dear to my heart. And uh, and and also, lastly, I would say would be educating others. I, I've been I've been hosting. Uh, my real estate investor for cash flow podcast for uh, over eight and a half years now. I really, really enjoy helping others find their direction and find their path to financial freedom. But again, it all starts with that why and why are you doing what you're doing and uh, why do you ultimately want to get into real estate? Okay, so once you have your why, let's talk about the differences between commercial and residential real estate. Let's talk about evaluation. How is it you evaluate properties differently 
commercial versus residential? Yeah, pretty pretty commonly in, in, in residential, it's it's typically by a comparable sales approach. And so if you live in a neighborhood and you've got a three-bedroom, two-bath, uh, two-car garage home that's 2,000 square feet, typically an appraiser is going to look at other homes in that neighborhood or in its immediate vicinity that are similar size, similar uh, uh, year built, uh, similar square footage, and also see what they have sold for over the last three, six, nine, 12 months, uh, however long they need to go back to find the data they need. And ultimately that's going to be uh, in alignment with what your home's gonna be valued. Again, that's a comparable sales approach. Now, I will say that over the last, uh, probably about five years or so, there's been a slight shift in that trend in residential single family real estate. And most of it as a direct result of the build for rent space, which is a fairly new sector, um, still a, a, you know, gaining traction as it exists today and, and really isn't its own subsector just yet. But there's a lot of energy and effort by institutions trying to build products specifically for rental. And so those types of projects, while they might be individual uh, detached single family homes, those projects as a whole are typically going to be sold on more of a, a cap rate structure from an income basis, uh, which is standard for uh, commercial real estate. And so, again, backing up a little bit, residential real estate, again, typically sold on a comparable sales approach. But with commercial real estate, it's all it's all based on the income. Uh, for yep. the most part, it's all based on the income. You know, the, If you look at an appraisal, it might have a replacement cost value as well. But for the most part, when we're looking at an uh, investment property, we're looking at the underlying NOI and we're applying a cap rate to it to determine what we feel the value is or what the value should be. And so, again, yep. um, it, w which is one of the attractive factors of commercial real estate in that we can we can really uh, we can really uh, play the value add game, and we can ultimately change the value of that property. Not by necessarily even doing improvements to it, but just by increasing that NOI. And that could uh, be be due to a litany of factors. One very simple thing that we do in the mobile home park space is uh, we'll ultimately go in and we'll submeter water and sewer uh, individually and bill it back to the residents, which nearly 100% of that savings goes to our bottom line, thus increasing our NOI and then increasing our value of that the individual property. And so yeah. All right, the other difference is between commercial and residential is how you deal with brokers. How how is it different between commercial and residential brokers? Yeah, that, that's a great question. You know, what you'll find is that nearly nearly 100% and I know it's not exactly 100% with you know things like Zillow where folks can list their own home for sale, but nearly 100% of all residential transactions are, are transacted uh, through just a residential real estate agent. Um, and, uh, and and for the most part, a, a lot of times, it doesn't even necessarily matter how good that actual agent might be. You know, as long as they get a listing and they put it up on the MLS, um, more than likely, there's probably another agent that's actually going to sell that property that's representing a buyer. In the commercial world, it's it's a lot different. There's there's very different grades, and I'm not, I don't want to degrade residential agents because there's some really really good ones out there. But in the in the commercial world, there's a much more a much higher level of sophistication that exists with with the brokers and the agents that are in that space, and 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 really finding a good opportunity is reliant upon finding that right broker that specializes in that particular asset class that you're looking to invest in. And so it's a, it's a very different type of relationship and dynamic that exists in the residential world than that in the commercial world. Yeah. Okay. And the next thing is appreciation. How is it different uh, between residential and commercial as far as what kind of appreciation you can expect? Yeah. Again, back to the, the whole forced value, you know, in, in residential, your home is 
again, it's going to be typically valued by a comparable sales approach. And so appreciation happens if the rest of the market is appreciation. So if the other homes in the neighborhood are going up at an average rate of three, five or whatever percentage on an annual basis, then that's the appreciation that ultimately you can expect from your own, uh, you know, three bedroom, two bath, two car garage home. Again, the example that we used prior, whereas in the commercial world, uh, one can perform what's known as forced appreciation, where, um, you know, again, using the example of the mobile home park, I'd, I'd mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago, um, we buy a property that's at $100,000, that has $100,000 of, of NOI at acquisition, um, but it's got $30,000 a year of water and sewer expenses that historically had been paid by the, the property owner. Well, if I can find a way to build those $30,000 of expenses back to the residents and ultimately allow that to go to my bottom line, which would take me from $100,000 of NOI to $130,000 of NOI. Well, on a cap rate, you're going to find a uh, significant increase in the overall valuation of that property. And that's what's known as a forced appreciation. So uh, I'm not necessarily relying on the market to carry me up in value, but I'm ultimately forcing it through means of lowering the expenses and, and uh, increasing the overall NOI of that property. So your chapter five is how to select the ideal investment vehicle. <clears throat> You've got five different core asset types. So let's go through the pros and cons of those. The first one is office buildings. Just briefly go through what the pros and cons of investing in office buildings might be. Sure. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we, we kind of hit on office a little bit uh, in the beginning of the show. Um, it's probably one of the least desirable uh, uh, asset classes of, of all of them in, in today's world, at least a lot of it as it relates to the pandemic and, um, you know, the work at home environment that's been created due to the pandemic and employers not knowing exactly what the landscape's going to look like in the coming years with getting folks back into the office full time. Is it going to be hybrid models at 100 percent or are they just going to completely stay virtual? And so with that being said, I would say that a lot of the cons that are uh, that are related to to office, uh, there, there's a depending on what the the economy is doing in a traditional sense. The, the office space typically ebbs and flows with the healthy overall economy. But there's some, again, unique factors that have actually played out over the last two years that are really uh, kicking office in the butt right now. And so, um, I, you know, Jordan, I'd love to say that there's there's a lot of pros out there with offices at this point in time. I just I don't I don't know that there is. Um, don't get me wrong. There's probably some very desirably located office buildings that are irreplaceable locations that will do just fine. But generally speaking, um, I, I wouldn't suggest anyone that's just getting into commercial real estate today at this point in time to put their emphasis and focus in the office sector. Just yep. way too many unknowns at this point. The second kind is retail. Um, yeah. So what, is the, what are the pros and cons of retail in today's market? Yeah, yeah no, no. A great question. Great question. And again, um, you know, uh, Retail's gotten a fairly bad rep over the over the past probably five to ten years, just with you know the boom in e-commerce. Um, it's been long time said that retail is dead, brick and mortar is dead, and I think what we what we have found over the last couple of years, uh, even before COVID, is that um, well located retail has not only done well but it's actually thrived, and the retail that's actually had a very hard time. One great example are malls, uh, malls across the country, unless it's a prime located a class mall and a very uh, uh, high price, uh, high price demographic, then it, it more than likely it's probably had a lot of struggles even before COVID uh, came along. And so, you know, retail, retail is it's still incredibly strong. In fact, what you found is that 
even e-commerce platforms like the behemoths, like the Amazons of the world, they're actually they're spending money to get brick and mortar locations. They they still they found that there's absolute benefit benefits to having brick and mortar locations, and so retail of strategically located and irreplaceable locations, so main and main type locations, I think you can still absolutely thrive. In fact, I think there's a lot of opportunity in retail at this point in time because a lot of a lot of the herd are looking the other direction. The herd's been really going towards multifamily for the past decade. And I've interviewed a number of, of, of very successful firms that have spent the last you know five to 10 years focusing on grocery rank or retail, and they're absolutely doing phenomenal. And, um, and so I, I don't think retail is dead at all. I think there's great opportunity there. And I still, I think it's an asset class that's been overlooked by a lot of the masses. So one that might represent opportunity for those that are considering investing in commercial real estate. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Kevin Bupp. He's the principal at Sunrise Capital Investors. You can find out more about him at his website, sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. And his new book is called The Cashflow Investor, How to Create Financial Freedom, Investing in Commercial Real Estate. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kevin Bupp, principal at Sunrise Capital Investors. Their website, sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. His new book is called The Cashflow Investor. How to Create Financial Freedom, Investing in Commercial Real Estate. He also has a personal website, KevinBuppBupp.com. Welcome back to the show, Kevin. Thanks, Jordan. We were talking about the different asset classes. Uh, the next one is industrial. 
Now, this has been pretty hot lately because all of these uh, warehouses that Amazon's been building. What what is the outlook for industrial real estate right now? Yeah, it, it's incredibly strong. Um, you, you know, it's you look back ten years, uh, and in in a lot of institutions would have turned their nose up at the industrial sector. It was always kind of the blue collar, kind of grungy, um, you know, uh, not necessarily fit you know, as a trophy asset class or for the larger institutions, but that's really, that's really been, been, been flipped over the past, uh, you know, again, roughly a decade, uh, especially as it relates to the, just the boom in e-commerce. And so the outlook is incredibly healthy. Um, uh, industrial real estate is trading at all time, low cap rates at present time. Institutions cannot pour enough money into this space. And so, um, yeah, and I don't see that trajectory again, just with the, the shift that's happening with the e-commerce world, I really don't see that, you know, th that trajectory changing anytime in the near future. Although people say it may be overbuilt. Amazon said that they've taken on too yeah. much industrial real estate. They're actually subleasing some of theirs that they built too much too fast. Is that possible? Yeah, no, that's a absolutely happened. In fact, I just had a conversation with this the other day and it's not even just Amazon. You know, a lot, a lot of, uh, you know, e-commerce retailers, uh, you know, over these last two years, we've had everyone at home. There's been a lot of, uh, 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 money poured into the marketplace. So people were buying, you know, cons you know, consumer sentiment was up. It was really healthy and high and everyone's, you know, spending their capital that they have. And ultimately, uh, we've had these, these supply chain constraints as well. And so a lot of retailers are trying to order as much as possible, just thinking that this, you know, this demand for product will continue on. And so Amazon went and built, you know, tens of million, I don't know the total, total square footage, but tens of millions of square foot, uh, feet for, the demand now that isn't necessarily going to be there. In fact, a better example, uh, Jordan, to give is uh, uh, Peloton. You know, Peloton during the pandemic, everyone uh, that liked to work out, liked to go to the gym, they couldn't. Their gym was closed down, um, and so lots of folks, you know, flocked to uh, at-home fitness. And you know, the Peloton bicycle, the Peloton tread, and Peloton saw uh, a dramatic increase in overall sales and demand. Um, during the pandemic. And so they went and built, and I forget the total size, it's over a million square feet, um, manufacturing center here in the U.S. to ultimately continue to meet or to basically make up for any of the demand they couldn't meet during the pandemic, thinking that this trend was going to continue forward. Now, what we have found is that Peloton, ultimately, they are not going to move into that space. Their, you know, their stock has plummeted over the over the last year, and just they're they're having struggles as it relates to you know, the demand not keeping up after the pandemic was over. People went back to the gym. People, you know, let their their Peloton bicycle collect dust in the corner of their house. Go on Facebook Marketplace right now and you'll probably find no no less than probably 30 Pelotons for sale for half of what maybe they paid for them a year or two prior. And so, yeah. you know, but the interesting thing about that is you, you mentioned the Amazon facilities. They've been able to secure subleases fairly quickly for that excess real estate that uh -huh. they build. And so, again, it just shows that the demand is still there. Maybe they overshot a little bit on their estimates of what they were going to need, but the actual demand for their product is there as far as the, uh, you know, the real estate's concerned, because they've been able to sublease a lot of that extra space fairly quickly. And so um, th that shows that there's good long-term economic health still in the industrial field. The fourth type is land, uh, physical land, which nothing on yeah. it. Mm -hmm. um, so what are the pros and cons of investing in land? Well, first and foremost, we know that they're not making any more of it. So if, if you if you buy land and, and, and you know, uh, growing locations or desirable locations, we know that it's irreplaceable. And I always like to say that um, land as it sits today, it will never have a lesser value than what it is in its raw state. And so if you can find a good opportunity in the path of progress with with a piece of land, um, you know, 
you know, buy it if, if, if at all possible. Again, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily just you know, be speculative and go buy something out in the middle of nowhere, 100 acres, 200 acres, because um, another downside with land is it doesn't cash flow, you know, unless you're going to lease it out to a farmer, there's an opportunity there. Maybe you could put a billboard on. And so, but generally speaking, you know, one of the big downsides is that land in its raw state does not cash flow. But, you know, again, some of the opportunities with land is that, that you're buying it at its lowest value um, as it sits in a raw state. And there's lots of value add components that can be had with land. Uh, you just, there's lots of developers out there. That's all they do. They bought buy, uh, buy land, raw land, they put the entitlements in place to maybe it's going to be to to build a, a retail center a multifamily property, what have you. And they turn around and they flip that to a developer uh, that's going to take it from that point moving forward. And uh, they've created a lot of value there and pass it on to the next, take their profits and move on to the next property. So but again, one of the downsides with the with the land investment is that typically they're not going to cash flow. Not not sufficiently enough to cover your debt service if you have debt service. And the fifth big type is multifamily properties. As you said, that's been very mm -hmm. hot. People yes. can't afford homes. They're having to rent in many cases. Uh, is, is that a long-term situation or if interest rates and rise and the economy slows that there'll be less demand for multifamily? Multi well, no, I mean, we, right now we have a uh, roughly a, a shortage of 4 million uh, rooftops that we need in the U.S. You know, coming out of the Great Recession, um, you know, we really didn't build much product at all for a number of years. And it did take it did take a little while for us to actually absorb any of the excess product that was built, um, you know, leading into 2008, because there's many markets. I'm down in Florida. There was a lot of excess rooftops that were built, um, supply that was built for a demand that wasn't necessarily here at that point. You know, it took a couple of years to get that actually absorbed into the marketplace. But then from that point for a couple of years forward, it, you know, the, the, the building sector was fairly stalled. But we were still creating new households. People were having babies. People were getting older. You know, millennials were getting to the age now where you know they're looking to you know uh, form a household, what have you. And but we weren't building. And uh, and ultimately, we find ourselves in a situation leading up to the pandemic to where we were just starting to get some momentum built. You know, we were trying to catch up and and and, and you know make that right. But then we ran into the pandemic, and again, building came to a not a screeching halt entirely some some markets it did um but once it was ready to get back rolling again we realized that now we have supply constraints we, we can't get the materials that are needed we can't find the labor necessary to actually continue with this momentum and so anyway we just find ourselves in a situation in the last decade or so where we have not built enough product and again at this point in time we've got we need we need four million um units whether it be an apartment or a home to rent. We we need four million units right now to meet the uh, you know to meet the demands here in the United States. And so um, it's a it's a situation that based on you know experts that we've talked to and and uh, I just had a conference, an IMN conference out in Miami about about uh, three weeks ago, um, and basically they're state they're they're stating that it's going to take us roughly ten years if we continue at the rate of building, assuming that the um, supply chain corrects itself and stabilizes that we need to continue building for the next 10 years to even put a dent and catch up to ultimately the, the lack of supply that we currently have. So um, what, I don't what, think multifamily is going anywhere anytime soon because, again, the demand is is there. And, um, again, the double-digit rents that we've seen increases over the last couple of years would prove that um, there's less uh, less supply than that of demand because folks are still willing to pay, you know, going for $1,500 a month. Their landlord raises their rents to $2,000 a month to $2,300 a month, and um, you're not seeing the turnover that you would had uh, expected. One big change in multifamily last few years because of the pandemic was mm -hmm. the moratorium on uh, evictions and foreclosures for, for homes. Yeah. 
what what impact has that had? What lasting impact? I mean, landlords never thought that would happen to them, but in fact, they had to carry properties for a long time without getting paid. What has been the long-term impact of that? Yeah, that, that's a that's a great question. Um, and, and I think every market was impacted differently. So, you know, we, we own assets in 13 different states, with a few of them being uh, blue states. And so, you know, those those blue states handled it very differently than a lot of the red states did. And so um, I, I will tell you that we, we still have some uh, derogatory balances um, uh, throughout our, our couple of our properties uh, that are kind of carrying over. There was a number of states that got their act together. You know, the, the Fed doled out um, kind of relief capital to each state individually. And they relied upon that individual state to figure out a method or a system to disperse those monies to the people that needed it, the people that couldn't pay for their rent. And it, 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 it went officially in a, in a few states, but it was a complete cluster in the majority of others. And so a lot of the folks that really needed the help never got the money that was uh, that was set aside or allocated for them. And so, um, you know, it's it's been an unfortunate situation. You know, uh, we're still kind of working through the final stages of uh, cleaning out some of the mess from the pandemic. And I don't know if there's necessarily going to be any longer term effects because what we have found is that the demand on the demand side whenever we have any units come available there's 10 people waiting in line 10 qualified people waiting in line waiting to take over that unit that are ready and willing to pay and so um again that doesn't necessarily speak to states that you know carried that that eviction moratorium much longer than uh, than anticipated in fact there's even individual states maryland being one of them there's a few counties that we own in jordan where the individual judges have taken upon themselves to not necessarily they, they don't they don't necessarily state that they're extending their own statewide or countywide eviction moratorium, but they have essentially kicked the can on eviction dates for we've got a few that are six plus months now where they've just continued it on and um, that so creates how, a little bit of pain. How landlords but, survived without rent for, for these? Yeah, people? I mean, I, I think it impacts the smaller landlords a lot more than the larger. You know, uh, for us, it's you know, if we've got a property that's got 100 units and there's three of those individuals that are, um, you know, the ones that aren't paying, we can't get them out. It's it's not great, but it's not detrimental to the overall performance of the property. And, you know, it's not it's not going to you know have us fall below the debt coverage service ratio of our loan. It's just not going to have that large of an impact. But you're right, absolutely right, for those smaller investors that. You know they're still working a full-time job. You look, they're they're looking. They've they've been responsible with their money. They've bought a couple of rental properties over the years, and you know they've got mortgages on these rental properties, and it's um it's incredibly impactful. You know I, I can't give you specifics, but I would think that it's 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 created a lot of undue pain to those that you know ultimately shouldn't. I mean it, it's it, they shouldn't have to go through that. They they've been responsible and they've done what they you know uh, set out to do and. Ultimately, they're not able to cover their their bank loan, or they're making they're taking their W two income and having to pay you know their bank loan on the rental property. But I would think there's a lot of pain. There is indeed. Very good. Okay, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Kevin Bupp. He's the principal at Sunrise Capital Investors, uh, that pretty much specializes in mobile home and parking uh, investment uh, properties. Their website, sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. Uh, he also has a personal website, kevinbupp.com, where you can get his book, The Cashflow Investor, How to Create Financial Freedom, Investing in Commercial Real Estate. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? 
Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kevin Bupp. He's the principal at Sunrise Capital Investors. He's got a new book out called The Cashflow Investor, how to Create Financial Freedom, Investing in Commercial Real Estate, his website, sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. Welcome back to the show, Kevin. Thanks, Jordan. The area you specialize in is mobile home parks. Mm -hmm. uh, before we get into the details, of it, just tell us about the fund that you have if people wanted to invest and how much it costs to get into it and what kind of returns they might expect and what you've had in your previous funds. Sure. No, absolutely. We, we do have a fund open at present time. It's SCI Growth and Income Fund 3. Um, this fund is is focused on two different asset classes, so it's a blend of mobile home communities as well as parking assets, and that is both parking garages and parking lots, surface parking lots. And so uh, this fund is it is it is gearing to close out here in the uh, the next couple of months, uh, but we do have some spaces left over for accredited investors. So you do have to be an accredited investor, and our minimum investment is one hundred thousand dollars. As far as Targeted returns in this fund, um, you know, it's uh, we're, we're shooting for IRRs of 14 to 16 percent. Uh, historically, in our last couple of funds, we've been able to not only meet but exceed our projected internal rate of returns. Um, you know, as far as you know, performance of the last couple of funds, you had asked me, Jordan. Um, you know, the, the our second fund, uh, which was strictly a mobile home park investment fund, um, we've got about we're we're about three years into it. We've returned roughly 85 percent of our investors' original capital and uh, are looking to get the remainder of the capital paid back here and then over the next year to 18 months. Um, and then ultimately that will allow us to have infinite returns, which is what we have achieved in our first fund that we set forth back in 2017. And so um, it's uh, it's been quite a ride. So it's current cash flow and then in the long run there's appreciation when you sell that, the mobile home parks? That's correct, that's Do correct. Do you sell a mobile home park from one fund to another? Uh, we do not. And I'm not going to say that we, we won't ever do that, but um, uh, typically if we sell something, we're going to sell it to an outside party. Yeah. So just briefly, what is the advantage of mobile home parks? You think of it as kind of people who can you know, barely afford their homes and it's kind of their last resort and pretty low rents. And the image of them is not great, I must say. Yeah. And I'd say that the image, that that's one of the um, the big misnomers in this space. And, you know, I always like to compare it to apartment complexes or you could even use single family neighborhoods uh, as a comparison. And, you know, you could take any, any city in the country and, uh, you know, Jordan, wherever, wherever you're based out of, you could tell me where the part of town is where the apartment complexes and the homes, like don't go there. Like you don't even go there during the day. It's the bad part of town. And I'm sure you could tell me uh, where you live as well, where the 
uh, where the where the higher end uh, uh, you know higher end demographic is where the you know the mansions are and the the white collar folks. Uh, and then you could probably tell me where all the blue collar parts of town are as well. And again, in each one of those sectors of town, there's single family homes, there's apartment buildings, but then there's also mobile home parks. And so multi- mobile home parks actually fall in all three of those buckets as well. You've got mobile home parks that are at the really low end of the spectrum. They're kind of on the wrong side of the tracks, the wrong part of town. You don't want to go near them. You know, just drug, sex and rock and roll. Not a good place to be. But you also have mobile home communities, uh, for example, down here in the Sunbelt. We're based in Florida. Um, but a lot of communities that are in the Sun Belt, generally speaking, they, they 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 cater to retirees, to snowbirds. These are lifestyle type communities. They've got you know swimming pools, they've got clubhouses, they've got um, outdoor recreation, and they're not necessarily affordable housing at all. They might be affordable as it compares to maybe a, a beachfront condo for a snowbird, but they're not affordable by any means. And so I would say that that falls on the opposite end of the spectrum of the, you know, the, uh, you know, the lower end part of town. Then you've got everything in the middle, the ones that focus on really catering to the hardworking folks, blue, blue, uh, blue collar individuals. And that's where we spend most of our time. Um, you know, we have found that you can take any mobile home community that, that we have in, in any one of those respective markets and, <clears throat> It is more than likely the cheapest form of housing, not the lowest quality form, but the cheapest form of housing that you have in that individual marketplace as it relates to or as it compares to apartment com- you know, apartments or rental homes. And so um, a lot of the mobile homes that are built nowadays, they're built with the same materials that they build homes with. Uh, they're just built in a controlled environment. So they have a lot of the, the features and functions as a typical stick built home, but again, are built in a controlled environment and uh, put onto a frame versus put onto a concrete slab. Yeah. And the other one is parking lots. Uh, again, you think people are commuting less and parking less when they're going into cities. So why is parking lots a good place to invest? That's a great question, and, and that is correct to a to to a certain uh, degree. Um, and you know, we look at we looked at parking lots like we looked at mobile home parks. You know, we we've always found ourselves to be somewhat contrarian investors, kind of going the opposite direction of the herd, but also identifying asset classes that are very fragmented in nature. And, you know, 10 years ago, um, mobile home parks look very differently as far as the ownership ownership of them than w- what they are today. Over the last five years, there's been um, many different institutions that have been trying to pour billions of dollars into, uh, into the mobile home park space. Well, we identified parking as a very fragmented sector as well. Again, very akin to that of what mobile home parks look like a decade ago as far as the ownership is concerned. And so we're looking at parking lots in downtown CBDs, not necessarily in the ones where no one came back to after the pandemic, but in you know locations where that are still thriving. I'll give you an example, downtown Phoenix. Downtown Phoenix is, I mean, Phoenix has been literally the number one or number two growing markets in the country for the last five years. Uh, downtown Phoenix is booming. And so if we can find a parking lot in downtown Phoenix, we know that today, as it sits as a surface parking lot, it is its lowest point of value. And so inevitably, if we can make sense of the investment today from a cash flow perspective, we know that we've got a, a, a cash flow and covered land play that inevitably will have a higher and better use at some point down the road. And uh, as far as another example, maybe to give you of, um, you know, of why parking still makes sense, even though maybe not as many people are commuting to work. So an example would be of a recent acquisition that we made in Clearwater Beach, Florida. It's right in my backyard. We're based in the Tampa Bay area. Um, Clearwater Beach has been, you know, been coined the number one beach in the country many times over again over the last couple of decades. <clears throat> you know, Florida, Florida didn't necessarily see the type of lockdowns that that other states did uh, during during COVID. And so 
uh, Clearwater Beach has been just flourishing, uh, e even more so now than what it had pre-COVID levels because everyone was looking for a place to escape to. And so we purchased a seven-story parking garage there uh, roughly six months ago with 12,000 square feet of retail on the first floor. And, and we have seen record numbers continue even after the pandemic. And so that is a irreplaceable footprint, irreplaceable location. There's a moratorium on new parking being built um, in, in Clearwater Beach. In addition to that, they've actually removed the parking minimums from new hotel and uh, uh, residential developments. And so what you're finding is that given the opportunity when a developer builds a new property and they're not required by the city to build X number of parking spaces per square foot, they're not doing it. And so they're not building ex ex excess parking. And most of the time they're taking a surface parking lot away to, to go vertical and, and build something there. And so we're finding a, a uh, uh, an increasing demand and a diminishing supply in parking lots in the markets that we're looking in. So that's part of the rationale for both mobile home parks. And that's parks. correct. That's the, correct. Supply is shrinking. Supply is shrinking. Is increasing uh, in both cases. Is that in right? In fact, there's many major markets uh, across. That is absolutely correct, Jordan. There's many major markets across the country, and it looks like it's a continuing trend where. Uh, municipalities are actually completely removing the parking lot requirements from new developments. And so what you're going to, you're going to see that, that, that supply continue to shrink. In addition to that, just like mobile home parks, municipalities don't like parking to be built. Um, they find that parking garages aren't all that sightly. In addition to that, they feel the same way about surface parking lots. Uh, it's just a, you know, asphalt piece of land. Um, they would much rather have a, a development of some sort being built there that attracts folks, whether it be retail or multifamily or some type of mixed use than that of, of a parking lot. And so uh, continuing, yeah. yeah, continue shrinking of supply. Correct. So just, we have about two minutes left. Why don't you kind of summarize why commercial real estate makes sense in today's economy? Yeah, no, I, and, and, and I think it's whether it's this, this economy or any other economy that we're in, it just really doesn't make it make a difference of point in time. You know, there's always a right time to buy real estate. I think with commercial real estate, uh, again, comparing it to residential or some other type of investments, it's much easier to scale to size um, and, 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 you know, acquire large scale of, of, of investments than that of if you're piecing together single individual uh, uh, single family dwellings and detached homes and things of that nature. In addition to that, again, we talked about forced appreciation. Um, I, I think that hands down commercial real estate is one of the easiest ways or easiest businesses to actually increase values. In. And, and at the end of the day, again, depending what type of commercial real estate we're talking about, again, we love residential. Um, there's a massive demand for housing in this country. And so one, if, you, if you're buying in the right market, one really can't go all that wrong by buying uh, a, a residential houses because there are plenty of bodies that are looking for rooftops to go into. And so uh, lastly, I think one of the other big things with commercial uh, uh, Jordan would be the type of debt that's available. You know, uh, there's, there's many different types of non-recourse loans available for commercial real estate investments. Those do not exist in the residential space. And so um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's one of the factors that ultimately is, is, is much more attractive in the commercial side. And it's also a lot easier to get debt in the commercial side for a larger property than that of a single family investment residence. Very good. Well, we've learned a lot this last hour about commercial real estate. My guest has been Kevin Bupp. He's the principal at Sunrise Capital Investors. You can find out more at his website, sunrisecapitalinvestors.com or his personal website, kevinbupp.com. And again, his book is called The Cashflow Investor, How to Create Financial Freedom, Investing in Commercial Real Estate. Thanks so much. We've learned a lot, Kevin. Jordan, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Thanks again. And we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now.
Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.